Welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and I finally decided to jump off the 24-7 work hamster wheel to go after my dreams. I will be downsizing from my 750-square-foot mansion to a 60-square-foot van in the summer of 2021, and I started this podcast to share that process with you. I'm hoping that it will add value to your life. And the podcast, kind of like life, is ever-evolving. The topics I will be covering are achieving your dreams, unconventional travel, and minimalism. In each episode, I'll either talk to you about my experiences or I'll interview someone else about one, two, or all three of these topics. So hang on to the roller coaster of life for your unknown adventure. We're here today with Anita Ramirez, and we met in Rachel Heron's Slack group, and Rachel is an amazing author and an amazing person. So, Anita, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Anita Ramirez. I am a full-time high school teacher. I'm also a college adjunct, uh, two different colleges currently, and I'm a mom of five boys. And I'm a California native who has been living in Long Island, New York for the past 25 years. So that's been interesting. Uh, But I'm also a part-time author, freelance writer, just getting into the business. So we have you on today because you have followed and achieved a dream. And can you tell us what that is? So my lifelong dream since I was a young child, maybe around six years old, was to write a novel. And this year, 2020, I finally did it. That's great. That's really great. What is what is the genre? What's it about? So this is a young adult novel. Uh, it is about a teenage girl, a 17-year-old girl, who is struggling with her cultural and linguistic identity. She is mixed race, you could say. Her father is Mexican and her mother is Caucasian. And she's struggling to find her place in the world. Uh, Sometimes she feels like she's not accepted by either side. So, and that's my own personal experience. Uh, So I wrote from that experience, but I also wanted to write a book that I could put in the hands of my own students who are bilingual, as I am bilingual. So this is a book that has quite a bit of Spanish in it and no translations. So it's meant for a bilingual reader. And it's just a book that has been on my mind ever since I became a teacher. And I finally just made it happen this year. (laughs) But I had started it several times before this. I just finally started it over. And for some reason, I just feel like when the universe speaks to your heart and in that flow state, it's ready to come out because I had started this novel several times, started and stopped, started and stopped. I started the first time about 14 years ago. So I guess there was just some magic going on this year that the universe blessed me and said this was my year to finally finish it. And did you start over from the beginning or did you continue with what you had written 15 or 14 years ago? Well, what I actually did was last year, uh, November 2019, I did NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month, for the second time. 
the, it's still the same book. So is, I've been working on this book. Uh, the first year in 2018, I had uploaded it, what I had already written way back in 2006 for this novel, the first few chapters. And in 2018, I really didn't write many more words, maybe a couple thousand more words and just let it alone. And then a year later, last November of 2019, I decided to continue and I wrote an additional 15,000 words during NaNoWriMo. So I wasn't a winner either year, but when I decided to finally tackle this novel and was determined to finish it, I joined Rachel Heron's class, uh, 90 Days to Done. And in the beginning of that class, I went ahead and decided that I was going to start from scratch. So it wasn't an, yeah, that I restructured the idea. The idea was the same, but my first draft I started from zero words. I wanted to just have a clean start. And I think that was finally what helped me finish, that it was just a complete project. It wasn't trying to tack on something that really wasn't working because we we know that we're in a different place than we were when we first attempted to achieve our dream. You know, we're constantly evolving and changing. And I think that was probably where I was getting stuck previously. I was trying to complete something thing that I had started when I was in a different stage of my life in a different headspace and it just wasn't coming together. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then I think also, I know for me, like I've learned a lot more about writing during the years. I, I also, I started my first novel, well now it was 20 years ago and I rewrote the first five chapters for 15 years before I finished. Oh, so, your story similar yeah. to mine. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I've, I've written more now, but that was that was my first one. It took me, it took, and it also took me Nano to finish it. So for, oh, okay. yeah. So for people listening, Nano Rimo National November Writers Month is you take the entire month of November and you write fifty thousand words. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that's that's not even a complete novel. I guess for some people, that is. For nonfiction, I think that's a good uh, length, but for fiction. It's a little short of what's typical, you know, most fiction novels. Well, at least all I know is YA is about 80,000 words, but I'm planning to do it again this year with my second novel, which I have outlined and I started writing it. I only have like maybe 3000 words, um, but I'm going to continue and that'll give me, you know, get me most of the way there. Hopefully I'll finish and be a winner for the first time. But you just made an interesting point about how life experience taught you more about writing that you weren't ready to really write a novel you know earlier and I felt the same way that was something I was thinking about today because I was like why did it take me so long I'm 48 so uh this is a 40 you know 40 plus year dream and I look at other authors and they're published you know in their 20s I'm like why couldn't that be me and I I attempted this goal I went after it I pursued it several times but I would always pull away. I would always pull back. So, and then I I look back with regret sometimes saying, gosh, why didn't I keep going? Why did I quit? But I think that if I had, it wasn't the right time and the universe knew that because I think if I had continued, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have been successful. And I think now I really do understand after having taught literature for this is 18th year, you know, teaching literature to high school students, I really understand how it works. So in story structure and character arcs. And so this is, this was the right time. Yes. And that's the, the other thing is, you know, 
is figuring all that out and learning all that. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing that we were just saying. But when I when I first wrote the first bit of my first book, it was it was really bad. And when I finished it, I put it under the bed, as we say. And then I wrote another one the next year for Nano, and I put that one under the bed. And then I wrote a third one. I put that one under the bed. And it wasn't until I wrote a fourth one that I started publishing, self-publishing. But I still did not, I hadn't learned all the, I still hadn't learned. I hadn't learned character arc and I hadn't learned the, you know, even though I actually have a screenwriting background and my degree in screenwriting, I, it, it didn't translate. So, you know, I was, I'm 54. So I, it took me a long time too, but you know, it's never too late. And that's Absolutely not. (laughs) It's never too late. It doesn't matter. I read a book when I was in my twenties written by a woman who was 95 or 99 years old. And she said, this is, you know, this was her first book. And, and it took that amount of time for her to, you know, be ready to write it. Right. And wasn't that, there was a really popular book last year where the crawdads sing, I haven't read it, but I, if I'm remembering correctly, the author Delia Owens, I believe she's in her sixties. I may be wrong about that, but I'm, that's what I'm remembering. So I mean, no, it's never, never too late. No, never is for anything. So how long have you been teaching? And well, you said 18 years, did you say? This is my 18th year as a high school teacher. Uh, I started teaching ESL, English as a Second Language. But for the past, I guess, eight years, I've exclusively been teaching home language arts, which is literature and composition in Spanish to native speakers of Spanish. So my entire day at the high school, I'm, I'm teaching poetry, I'm teaching short stories, I'm teaching novels, I'm also teaching um, how to write an argument, uh, an argument essay, how to write a literary analysis essay, everything we, we do is in Spanish. So, and these are native speakers, so these are not um, students born and raised here that, you know, learned Spanish as a, as a foreign language, no, these are native speakers who came here from an, a Spanish-speaking country, and they're learning English, so they are English language learners, but because their English isn't well-developed enough for them to go deep with the literature and to practice these necessary academic skills, we're giving them a practice with these skills in the only language that they can do that in right now, which is their, their own language, their language of Spanish. So after having taught that, and, and it's, you know, it's actually given me such a well-rounded well-rounded experience in terms of the authentic uh, Spanish language literature, which is very different than, than literature I grew up reading in English. So I feel like I, I have a well-rounded experience with, with literature and understanding it. And, you know, writing is a different, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful at writing, but I think it gives me a leg up. Yeah, I think it helps a lot. Yes. Now, you said you teach three different classes, and you're raising five children, and <laughs> you still found time to write a book. So can you talk about that a little bit? So I am a mom of five boys, uh, but but my three older sons were from a previous marriage. I'm, I'm married my second marriage right now. Um, so my three older boys are in their mid to late 20s, and they're all on their own living in other states. So I only have two little ones at home, but I do have three jobs. So I have a full-time, the full-time job at the high school, which I just described, but I'm also an adjunct professor at a community college where I teach composition to, in the ESL department, to adult immigrants who are learning to to write in English. 
and I teach at a university as an adjunct professor. I teach uh, linguistics, which is my background. Wow. So it is a lot, but how did I do it? To get back to your question, I got up very early in the morning. (laughs) So I did most of my writing before work. As a high school teacher, my first class started at 7.30 every morning. So I had to be there before 7. So, (laughs) So I got up and would do my writing between 4 and 6. And I averaged about 1,800 words a day, and I wrote six days a week. And, well, I'll just mention that I went through a horrible tragedy during this time, during the writing of this book, and I finished it anyway. It took me 74 days to write about 89,000 words. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And do you want to touch on the tragedy or no? Sure. No, I'll mention it um, because I think it's actually important. Uh, it might be helpful for, for other people because... Just because we're writing a novel doesn't mean that the the world stops. (laughs) You know, things are still going to happen. And it's important to know that sometimes it's our art that gets us through it. So one of my older sons passed away on April 14th. Uh, He was 25 from a brain aneurysm. I got a phone call 530 in the morning from his fiance, whom he was living with. And um, she said that he sat up in the bed and just he was gone within a minute and just collapsed yeah so it was tough he was living in Houston Texas at the time so I wasn't even there and because of you know the pandemic that was happening so also I wrote this novel in the middle of a (laughs) pandemic and then my son passed away non-COVID related but because of the pandemic I wasn't able to travel so there was no funeral there was no you know I wasn't able to go there Um, And I'm high risk because I have an autoimmune disease. So for me to get on a plane, well, I would have done it anyway. But my other sons and his fiance was like, don't you dare. It's not necessary. We'll take care of it. So um, I received his ashes in the mail a couple of weeks later. Yeah. That's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's awful. Thank you. It was, I mean, it's still hard. It's actually getting harder. But (laughs) to be honest, I haven't written much in the past few weeks because it seems like it's hit me recently. Um, But One of the things, I took a week off when he passed. I took a week off from uh, writing. So, but I still finished under deadline. You know, my my goal was the 90 days and I finished in 74 days with taking that week off. And, you know, Rachel and the other people in the class were like, you you know, take all the time you need. You don't have to finish this book now, finish it next year. And I'm like, no, my son would want me to finish it because he was the one out of, well, he was the one I was closest with. We talked every day and he was the one that was always asking me, so how's the book coming? And he was very invested in it. He knew all about the characters and what was happening. And so I felt like he was there nudging me on, you know, to help me finish it. He knew it was my lifelong dream, so right yeah yeah oh I'm sorry I I honestly think that is the worst thing really in the world is to lose a child yeah I guess it is I mean it's the worst thing I've been through (laughs) I you know I I don't want to compare because I'm sure someone else's worst thing might be something different but for me yeah it definitely has been the worst thing And, and how are your other children handling it I mean he has an identical twin brother with the same medical condition so He's doing okay. You know, it's been hard for him, but luckily he, he's married. He has a wonderful wife and um, he has a lot of support. He's very involved in his church and he has a very strong faith. So that helps him. My older son, um, who's a pilot active duty in the military, he's, he, we were just talking yesterday and he said he, it hit, it's hit him recently too, because he was actually deployed when it happened. And 
he wanted to come and we all told him the same thing that they told me like don't bother there's nothing we can't have a funeral he was deployed in the middle east so um no i'm sorry he was in africa um so he waited it out and uh came home and he's he was just telling me recently it's hit him too and i think it's because you know it was the six month anniversary of his death was uh two days ago and then his would have been his 26th birthday is next week so it's kind of like yeah the timing right now yeah yes yeah and it takes a while to process things like that it does and i think it's something that i'll probably never completely you know they say that you don't really get over things and you don't need to get over them you know i think that that's um an incorrect idea that our culture has imposed upon us that we need to get over a death you know why that doesn't mean you you can still live a vibrant happy life you know and i i don't intend to curl up in a ball anytime soon but i think it's you know to be fully human and vulnerable and recognize that this is hard i miss him i'm sad there's nothing wrong with that and that doesn't doesn't mean that you still can't experience happiness and joy as well yeah that's really true and i've i have a couple patients that have lost children and you know even years and years later around the time of their death or around the holidays they get really sad and and that's okay that's like you said that's human that's normal you know we're we're not we're not robots for sure and you know it's such a when I think about this year you know everybody has a story about 2020 I'm sure but for me it's like such a dichotomy you know I achieved this lifelong dream on one extreme and then on the other extreme I lost my son and yeah I don't even know how to process all that but I just feel like it was meant to be, you know, I really believe that. I really believe that whatever, whatever the reason was, this was all meant to happen, you know, now, not that, not that I'm saying, you know, he was meant to, to die or anything like that. I mean, obviously I have to make sense of it somehow, or maybe there's no making sense of it. And maybe I'm not making sense right now. <laughs> I'm speaking like a grieving mother, I guess. But I guess all I'm trying to say is that you know, you have to take the good with the bad. And that was has certainly been my experience this year. You know, I achieved all this dream and then lost my son. And um, I think that just goes to show you that that's, that's what life is. We have the highs and the lows, and sometimes they come very close together. Yeah, that's true. And we don't have a choice. You know, life is out of our hands. Right. A lot for of it. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even when we think we're in control. And we're not. And that, I think that's that's such an important lesson that it really takes a lifetime to learn, you know, that that ability to just surrender and accept and ha- and just accept everything with, you know, some level of equanimity that we're not in control and just to say, OK, this is what it is and just accept it because we suffer when we're unable to accept what is, you know. Yeah, that's true. We do. We do suffer when we're trying to change things that we can't change. Right. And, and along those lines, in terms of, you know, going back to the, the theme of, of this, um, this episode is that in achieving a dream, I think sometimes people are afraid to start or they're waiting until all the conditions are perfect or like all the variables are in place. And it's like the perfect, you know, you know, the, uh, the barometer is, is just right. And, um, it doesn't work like that, I think. And maybe that was a lesson I needed to learn to finally, just get this done and I think I always used 
life circumstances as an excuse. And that's why I quit so many times, you know, when I first started writing up oh, that I had a baby at that time, I had my oldest son. He was an, he was an infant when I started really writing seriously in my early twenties, but I didn't have a plan. And then I ended up getting pregnant with the twins and I'm like, well, there goes that. I can't be a writer now. <laughs> like, this is how my brain worked, you know, that, and it was like either or, and I didn't realize that you can make space for for both. But I think my drive and my perfectionism at that point, which, you know, luckily I've, I'm a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) I think at that point it was like all or nothing. You know, that was the way I was, would approach everything. Yeah. Those are good points. And what is your future plan? Like, are you editing now? Are you looking to traditionally publish? Are you self-publishing? So it's always been my goal to be traditionally published. I just, I don't even want to get into trying to figure out how to self-publish. And I know, like, I know there's so many pros and cons to each, and and I'm aware of the pros and the advantages of self-publishing. And maybe at some point I will change my mind. Um, But what I, I already have revised the book, and I did start querying agents, and I got some... I think I queried uh, about 16, 17 agents and I got several rejections. And then I had a lot of just no responses after six weeks, which is basically a no, but I did have one agent who was very, very untypical, atypical and and very kind. She um, sent me some feedback on some changes that she thought would be better and said that she'd be willing to take a second look after I make some changes. So I'm in the process of doing that and I'll send it back to her and see what happens at that point. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to forge ahead with writing my second novel. And like I said, if, if I don't end up getting a traditional publishing deal and I'm probably going to be picky as well, I don't think I'm going to just take whatever, even if I'm offered one, I feel like, you know, for everything I've read, I, I want to really consider the terms. And at this point in my life, I want to make sure it's the right thing for me. And if it ends up not being the right thing, then I'm willing to, you know, go and go the other route. But for now, that's my plan. Yeah, that's great. I think that's really smart, actually. And is your next book going to be like a second book? And like, is it a series or is it something totally different? I've never imagined myself writing a series unless I... I I do have an idea for a romance series, but I don't really read romance. So I kind of feel like what I have no business writing a romance when I don't read those kinds of books. But um, in terms of the YA, I don't really write in a genre. It's just contemporary YA. So my second book is also intended for a bilingual audience. And this one, it's very different. You know, my first book is set in Los Angeles. It's a girl who was about a girl who was born and raised in LA and comes from an affluent family and, you know, but struggling with this Latina side of her. My second novel is about a girl who um, comes to this country from Peru speaking very little English. So there is a lot more Spanish in this book than in the first book. And this is a girl who was separated from her mother for 13 years. And her father and grandfather, who who raised her in Peru in a little village up in the Andes Mountains, were shaman, shaman, I guess you could say, no, shamans. So her father dies suddenly. And because of that, her mother, who's living in the States and has since remarried to an American man, and they have two children together, has sent for her. So 
she's en route to uh, the United States when the book opens. And she has these expectations of this beautiful reunion with her mother, whom she misses and hasn't seen in so long. And it just isn't what she expects. And so we see her struggling with that and where she fits in, trying to learn English, missing her grandparents in Peru. And there's a lot of magical realism in it because of her experiences with shamanism and being raised that way. Yeah, I have a lot of that and symbol symbolism in it as well. That's At least that's cool. the plan. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That sounds really interesting. Thanks. And, and I, that's why I think it, it's going to be a challenge for me to find an agent and a publisher who believes in a, in a book that's that's going to be marketed for a limited, you know, audience of bilingual readers. But at the same time, they need to acknowledge at some point that there is a huge hole right now in what's available for these uh, immigrant students and students who were born here but are also bilingual and there aren't enough books that are representative of them so I do consider myself um, an own voices writer I think that's great I you're right mm-hmm. there's there's a hole and whenever there's a hole in something there's a chance to make a difference and fill that right and if I don't find anybody who you know believes enough in my work and, and in me to um communicate that then uh, I'll publish it myself I believe enough in myself to get it out there and you know hopefully at the very least I want to just put a book in my students hands because a lot of my students are very reluctant readers and it's always my mission every year when I get a new group of kids in my classes is to instill in them a love of reading and a love of literature and I've had a few success stories so (laughs) that's not the majority but you know if I can if I can just get one kid converted to become a reader and say, wow, I really enjoy reading. I love literature. Then I will feel like, okay, mission accomplished this year. So. Yeah, totally. And as a teacher, that's, I don't know if that's what we're taught or if that's like the norm, you know, if you can reach one child, then you're doing your job. Right. Right. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's exciting. I like that. I, I also feel like students, well, I mean, bilingual, but students that are maybe just learning Spanish, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's, you know, it, the books are still majority English language, but um, I'm not putting any translations of anything because I feel like that would be othering the Spanish. So I, I'm very careful about that. And, and it's, it wouldn't be authentic. You know, we don't live our lives and, and, and have something translated to the person next to us all the time. So sometimes you just got to figure it out from the context. And it is going to make the readers maybe work a little harder, at least the readers that aren't fully bilingual. But I still think uh, the story will carry them along. And, you know, they'll be invested enough in it to, to make that effort, that little extra effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have a friend who moved to Barcelona, Barcelona, and mm-hmm. learned Spanish. I mean, he already knew a little bit before he moved there, but, you know, he's from here. You know, so people like that, like that have learned Spanish as a second language. Absolutely. And I feel like there aren't enough bilingual books. Like I, you know, I can pick up a book in Spanish and a lot of them are like popular books in English that are translated to Spanish or authentic works in Spanish. But how many books out there? are bilingual you know one of the few that I ever remember seeing uh, it was written in English but there were a few Spanish words was La Casa on Mango Street the house on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros so I remember reading that years and years ago and being like wow this is so cool there are some words in here in Spanish and they're not translated and it's just you know they're in there so yeah yeah and I've it's interesting I've written a couple books where I either put 
I had a Latina character and I put some Spanish phrases and I had an Italian and I put some Italian phrases. I wrote a whole book that took place in Italy and I put Italian phrases and my editor made me translate them all. And I had, yeah, I didn't have them translated. I was like, well, they'll figure it out. No, you have to translate. No, I would say no. I would say then I'm not doing this. (laughs) I can be a little, uh, well, ask my principal. I, I, I sent him an email the other day. I'm like, I need to talk about something with you. And I, I could just tell he called me. He's like, what's going on, Anita? Because I'm always the one that's like, you know, I don't really agree with this. And I'm not doing this with my students and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's so, good. Yeah, I, would, <laughs> I feel like I'm their voice, you know, especially my students. They're a population whose parents aren't, you know, used to they're not accustomed to in their culture advocating and going to the school and telling them what's what you know unlike american parents they're like you better change my kids grade but my students parents will rarely call and advocate for their kids and it's not because they don't love them or they don't care it's just it's not they wouldn't it doesn't occur to them that they should do such a thing so i take that role on and yeah so i have no trouble i would have no trouble pushing back on an editor at least for that you know not for any if they want to pull apart my writing and tell me you need to fix this whatever i am so open to that but about translating the spanish now then i'll find someone else because then this is not for you right and it's also like with my editor my situation i'm self-published so i was hiring the editor so right you know, right in the end she would do whatever yeah. i wanted anyway course yeah and you can also because you know you're paying her she's giving you her you can take it or leave it you know yeah yeah and just an aside with the romance writing so I've written and published 11 novels that are all romance novels and I don't read romance so I've read a few but it's just not my preferred genre yeah me neither and I recommend romancing the beat learning how to outline specifically for romance Oh, okay. Really good. Good Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, I have an idea for a whole series. So I that's something I'll get to at some point. But I had to get these these YA books, these bilingual books out of my system. And this isn't the only thing I want to ever write. Like there are so many things I'm interested in writing. It's just sometimes I feel like there's something inside you and you have to get it out. And it's almost like it just comes through you. I'm just the medium. It's just something that I can't even prevent at this point. Yeah. That's a, a lot of writers feel that way. It's like the, the characters in your head that won't shut up unless you get them out right. on paper and you have to do that. Otherwise you're going to go crazy. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. And it's just nagging at me, nagging at me. I have to tell the story. It's so important, you know, to who I don't know, <laughs> but I got to tell it. Yeah. And I think also once you have one book done, it's a lot easier to keep going. I think you're right. And like I said, I'm, I'm kind of in a funk right now and I'm stuck a little bit and I'm, I haven't been writing like for about the past five weeks. So definitely getting back into it. And last night I was writing, actually last night I did write, but I was writing, working on a personal essay. I wasn't working on my book, but for November, you know, NaNoWriMo, that's what I'll be doing for sure. Working on that second novel. Well, I have to carve out some other time to uh, you know, work on that revision to novel number one and send back to that agent. So I'll probably be uh, having some early mornings again here soon. But that's exciting. That's exciting that it you got is. the feedback. Yes. I, I was shocked. I was like, how generous. And I sent her back an email. I was like, this is extremely generous of you. I will absolutely take all of your, um, you know, suggestions into consideration and, uh, I'll get back to you. That was amazing. Yeah. 
So that told me that she believed in me enough to want to take a second look, that it has, you know, is a worthy enough project. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to touch a little bit on what is USAF veteran and South Korea? So I am a veteran of the United States Air Force. I graduated high school when I was 16. And so I had a really crappy guidance counselor in high school, even though I was, you know, in the top 5% of my class, I never applied for college because it was his last year. He was already one foot out the door into retirement, did nothing. And my parents are not college educated, so they had no clue about this whole process. And they were, frankly, terrified about the financial um, prospects about it. So I ended up graduating high school a a year and a half early, actually. That's why I was 16. And I got a job as a receptionist in a psychiatrist's office. That was, uh, that's a whole other podcast episode. That was an interesting job, let me tell you. But (laughs) I just felt like I had no direction in life. So I really wanted to go to college. I was so bright. And my parents at that point were just struggling financially because of some other situations. And I fell into a recruiter's uh, trap, I guess you could say. And they said, oh, the GI Bill will we'll pay for college. And that's all I had to hear. You'll pay for college. I'm going in the military. It's not like out of some, not that I'm not patriotic. I love my country, but it wasn't out of some great sense of patriotism that I enlisted in the Air Force. <laughs> but being so young, first of all, I wasn't allowed to enlist until I was No, I I was able to enlist when I was 16, but I had to have my parents' signatures and my parents refused. And my father, especially because he was in the army, you know, during the Vietnam War, but he didn't go to Vietnam, but he just said, no daughter of mine's going in the military. And I said, well, if you don't sign the paperwork, I'm going to get a lawyer and emancipate myself. I'm not going to sit here. (laughs) And so they said, all right, we'll sign. And actually, originally I wanted to go in the Marine Corps. And my father said, because I had a friend, a guy friend who graduated within my class and he enlisted in the Marines. And so he was telling me about the Marines. So that was my first choice. But my father said, I will sign the papers for you to go in the military, but you are not going in the Marines or the Army. Pick the Air Force or the Navy. So I picked the Air Force. (laughs) And so two weeks after my 17th birthday, I was on a plane to be shipping out to basic training. And yeah, so... I ended up training as a linguist. I had to take a special exam called the Defense Language Aptitude Battery, and they weed out people who don't have an aptitude for languages. But I knew that I had an aptitude for language growing up in a bilingual home. So, of course, I passed it. And after basic training, I was sent to DLI, which is the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California at the Presidio. Beautiful, beautiful base. And I was uh, thrown into Korean, eight hours a day, five days a week for a full year. Total immersion. Learned to read, write, everything in Korean. Wow. Yes. Yes. And then from there, they sent me to uh, another base. I'm probably giving away too much. I signed, I remember signing a contract because I, I had to get a like higher than a top secret clearance. I will not divulge anything for 77 years. I don't know where that number, it's arbitrary, but it's 77 years. So I went to another base and I learned all the intel part of my job. And then I was sent to Korea, to South Korea, stationed there for one year. And my job was basically to listen to North Korean army communications and transcribe what I heard. What? That's crazy. Wow. Was it it interesting? I mean, at the time, I didn't appreciate it and I didn't think it was anything. 
you know, I was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, fallow youth, shallow youth. What's the term? Callow, callow youth. That's the word I'm thinking of, but I didn't think and much of it. I'm like, I'm just doing a job now looking back. And when I tell people, they're like, that's crazy. And then they think I'm like making it up. I'm like, no, I really, I really did it. Like I could tell you even more stuff that was like, that my job entailed that back then I just was like, eh, took it in stride. It was like, whatever, you know, I was 17, 18 you don't know, just go with the flow. Looking back, I mean, that was definitely an opportunity, a fascinating part of my life and one that I'm glad that I had. And that's something I would love to write about at some point, but I'm so nervous that I'll tell too many things. I'd have to have a lawyer, a military lawyer, look it up. Yeah, I was going to say, or wait 77 years. (laughs) I know. And you know, my son, he's a pilot now. He actually went to the academy, the Air Force Academy, following in my footsteps and my ex-husband too but he also has a clearance and he's very careful you know like he doesn't put anything on social media or anything like that I'm like thank god there was no social media when I was in because I would have been the dummy like taking selfies you know in the underground tunnel I worked in and been like here I'm right here you know like (laughs) I would have been in so much trouble (laughs) and can you still speak Korean I can, but I lost probably 85, maybe 80% of it. I can have a conversation, a basic conversation, but not, you know, when I came out of DLI, I was able to speak for hours about a whole array of subjects. But now, like I can go into a nail salon (laughs) and have a conversation with the owner. That's about it. But if you went there, you'd pick it up again. Yes, I'm sure I would. And, you know, I have Duolingo on my phone and I was learning, like brushing up on the Korean and I breezed through the first few levels. But then my seven year old, he he started doing the Korean and he already learned the alphabet. I'm like, you need to learn Spanish. first. (laughs) But right. I know. But, you know, my students, I teach in Spanish all day and they always are shocked when I say Spanish is my third language. So I grew up in a bilingual home. But I didn't speak Spanish. I I could understand a lot of it, but I didn't really learn to speak it until well after I had learned Korean. So I'm still saying that it's my third language, at least in terms of speaking it, being able to produce the language. Right. Well, that's good. That gives other people hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then can you talk a little bit about how you primed the pump, like listening to podcasts and reading books on writing before you started your novel? Right. So I mentioned that I, I did the NaNoWriMo in 2018, but not much came out of it. But then um, 2019, before NaNoWriMo, I think I probably started in maybe August, maybe going back to May, but sometime in the middle of 2019, I started listening to these writing podcasts and I just found all these podcasts and that's how I found Rachel Heron because I found her podcast and I started listening to like so many different podcasts and it was really just getting me more and more like excited about writing and getting my mind like back into that you know it's kind of like it reawakened something within me that that I had that longing for for so long and it but it made it not only like oh I have this dream, but it made it like seem possible. Like, oh, these are just things I, you know, it's like a, it's like a skill set. I guess I never really looked at writing like that before because it always came so easily to me as a young person. And, you know, I was always the kid in the English class and the teacher was like, you write so well, you should be a writer. And my father used to tell me, you know, I wrote short stories when I was a young little girl. My grandmother 
brought me this old royal typewriter, the, the old black, you know, heavy metal one that she bought at like the Salvation Army. And she brought it over for me. I was six or seven. And I would sit at my little table in my bedroom with that typewriter. And I would just crank out story after story. And my father, who rarely would give me compliments, you know, he was like such a jokester, but he seriously was like, no, you need to pursue this. Like, this is what a, you have a gift. So I always carried that with me, but I never looked at it as something that anybody could do. I always thought it was like, you know, like, I don't know, the golden child or something, <laughs> you know, like I'm the chosen one. <laughs> like I have this gift, but maybe it was that that also kept me from taking it seriously because the weight of that is so tremendous, you know, especially as a younger person, especially as a young mom with all these kids that I have to take care of and like, I don't have time to pursue this thing. If, if I'm supposed to be the chosen one, I have to write the great American novel. And once, you know, I kind of, I guess do with age and maturity, I got over that, but read, listening to these podcasts and I subscribed to writer's digest again, made it seem like, Oh, that's it. Like, and I'm not saying it's easy. My gosh, it's like, it's simple, but it's not easy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like oh, once yeah. you learn the, for, the formula, it's simple. Like you could teach it to anybody but it's not easy. Right. So practice, practice, but yeah, so that's really what it was. You know, I had a lot of books that I'd purchased on, you know, books on writing over the years, craft books, but they all were in together in one drawer. <laughs> so I took those out, dusted them off, bought a few new ones. And I just spent several months listening to podcasts and reading those books and reading that writer's digest magazine. And finally, when NaNoWriMo came last year, I was really ready to sit down and crank out some words. I yeah. think that's, yeah, that's great advice. That's really, I think that that's very helpful and helpful to hear like other people doing it and their stories and their recommendations and, you know, learning from them. And the other thing I think is I'm a meditator. I started meditating about oh, a little over two years ago, two and a half years now. And I think that that has made me a better writer. You know, it has taught me so much about starting again. You know, you get lost, you begin again. <laughs> you get lost and again. Um, just that discipline of sitting, that the level of focus and concentration that you're training your brain, all of these things are so helpful, you know, and you can apply them to writing. So that was kind of like another tool in my toolbox to, to really be able to finally achieve this dream. And I have this poster in my classroom that it says, um, a dream is a goal. No, I'm sorry, a goal. A goal is a dream with a deadline. So how do we make our dreams achievable and doable is we convert them into a goal by putting a deadline on them. And that was what did it for me as well. Yeah, yeah that's what did it for me too, until right. I had a deadline. And even now with my, I don't know, 18th novel, I, unless I have a deadline, I'm not doing it. Right. But it's your self-imposed deadline and you're able to still stick to it. it yeah. You know, my deadlines are better if I have an editor that I'm paying and it has to right. go to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I would probably be the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, for the writing, I love writing. So my first drafts are like, you know, quote unquote easy, but mm -hmm. revision, I hate revision. It's like pulling teeth for me. So that's where I have to give myself deadlines and I have a writing coach and so he does read over, like, he's kind of my editor right now. Mm -hmm. um, but, he, you know, he lets me slide my deadlines, which is good in one respect and bad in another, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. So what would you tell other people to aspire to? Well, I think, you know, like we already said before, it's never too late. 
So if you have a dream that you've always wanted to pursue and achieve, you can start now. You can start tomorrow. You don't have to wait. It's never too late. And if you do end up waiting, that's okay. <laughs> start then. And I really believe that things happen when they're, when they're meant to happen. So if it doesn't happen, there's some reason. Maybe there's some uh, more experiences that you have to go through before you're really ready uh, to achieve that dream. Another thing is to, specifically for writing, we just kind of touched on this too, make, set a deadline for yourself. I also made an appointment with myself. So the getting up and, and writing at 4am wasn't just like, okay, I'll set my alarm for four and hopefully, you know, <laughs> hopefully I won't hit snooze and I'll actually get up and do it. But I, I wrote it in my agenda book for, for the day, you know, like, oh, writing four to 6am. And so it was like an appointment and that held me accountable to myself and it, it was helpful. Um, the other thing is, you know, stay motivated, keep yourself motivated by joining writers groups. Um, you can take an online course. Like I ended up taking the 90 days to done course with Rachel. And it was during that course that I finished the, the book. Finally, it wasn't during NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo helped. It gave me a, a great push, uh, the second NaNoWriMo. So I'm hoping I'll have an even, even more success with the third one. But being in that course with someone like Rachel, who is so wonderful and such a great cheerleader and has written a lot of books and has tons and tons of wisdom. And she also teaches creative writing um, at Stanford, at Berkeley. So she knows her stuff. Uh, and then having that community, that group of my classmates in the, in the class with me, and we pushed each other and we would do writing sprints together. That was immensely helpful. And I forgot to mention that. That is definitely one of the things that helped me finish that first novel and achieve my dream was the help from other people in the writing community. You know, we would make an appointment with each other through Slack. We would just say, okay, I'm going to sprint today at 345. Who's in, you know, or I'm going to do a 45 minute sprint tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. And then we would just like log on to Slack and be like, I'm here. Good morning. Okay, let's start, you know? So that was really helpful. Um, and like I mentioned before, you know, priming the pump by listening to podcasts, reading books on the craft, and just immersing yourself in that language of writing and in, you know, in the art of writing and in the craft of writing, I think is going to help you more and more. Um, integrate that into your into yourself so that you feel that that's part of your identity that you are a writer because I think a lot of times we it's like that imposter syndrome you know well I can't start calling myself a writer and well when can I start calling myself a writer is it after I finish the book is it after I publish it and it's so funny like I never really struggled with that even though I went you know a couple decades without writing and I've never been published other than a couple like minor articles in local magazines like parenting newspapers or whatever I've always considered myself a writer and maybe it's because I had that early praise and those experiences you know during my childhood of of being told that I have this gift so that is something that I've never doubted I don't doubt myself and my ability what I do doubt sometimes is my discipline <laughs> you know, like recently, but I'm giving myself a little bit of grace. And now that I did finally finish my novel, I'm not so worried about it. I know I will finish another one and another one and another one. So there's a reason I just need a break right now. You know, I've been through a lot this year. So yeah, you've been I through think, a lot. You've been through yeah. a lot. And I personally, I think your discipline is amazing. 
you well, know, thank you. getting up at 4 a.m. and writing till 6. I tried to do that. It did not work for me. Right. And I pushed myself really hard and wrote and published 11 books in a year and a half. It was <gasps> it was more under two years, a little under two years. And then I burnt out and didn't write for a year. Oh, so, yeah. you know, there's, there's that end of the spectrum, the too. Flip side to it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, it sounds so impressive, but then when you when you throw in that part, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want that then. And it was all. also a genre that I hated. Like, in the end, oh. I don't like romance. I don't like writing romance. I don't read romance. And, you know, but I was right. I was, I thought that's what I had to do. And anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but now yeah, like I, I, I said, like, I, I would only write the romance because I have that idea for a series. And I think it's a really good idea. So I want to write that series just, again, to get it out. <laughs> and then I'll be done with it, probably. I don't think if that's, I would stay in that genre for very long. Right, right. And yeah. I think that that's a, a big key to writing is writing what we love. I know some people that can write for, you know, uh, the mar- right to market and write what they, they know will sell. I have a really good friend that that's what she does and she has no problem doing it. And she writes right. every day and she publishes regularly and she's making a great living. But I can't, personally, I can't do that. I couldn't do that either. And, you know, even as a YA writer, I have to be careful. Like my first novel does have some sex in it and I you know and I had to really tone it back when I did revision like it was it was like soft porn in my my first draft but I knew I was going to tone it back you know it's easier to tone it down than to try and add in during revision but I had to really think about that because I'm like if I want my students to get this book you know I don't want my my school to censor it or something but there's no sex in my second novel but you know there's curse words in my in my novels not not a lot but there's some and I always hear on these podcasts, I listen to these writing podcasts, there are so many authors, it's super popular nowadays, these cozy mysteries, and what do they call the some kind of romance, small town romance, those are like the euphemisms for totally clean, mm-hmm. not a single foul word, not, no sex, yep. I could not write that, I just, I couldn't, like more power to you ladies, I could not write that because I just, my mind doesn't. I don't have those boundaries yeah. inside. Yeah, me too. I can't write that. I can't yeah. write clean either. I'm the same yeah. way. No. <laughs> That's oh my funny. gosh. There is a lot to be said. I mean, the F word is is highly underrated. It's yeah. extremely, Uh-oh. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> extremely you, useful word. Oh, you froze. So just, uh, can you pick up from highly underrated? Sure. Um, yeah, the F word is highly underrated. And I think it's one of the most u- useful words in the English language. You can use it as an adverb. You can use it as a verb, as a noun, as an adjective. You can conjugate it in so many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to completely agree with you. It's one of my favorite okay. words. Right. Uh, what would you tell your 10-year-old self, you at 10 years old, what advice would you give yourself now? About writing or about... About anything in life. About anything. <laughs> you say 10 and all I keep thinking of is that that assembly we had to go to in fifth grade when I was 10 to learn about our periods. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. But no, I won't, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> so if I could give myself advice at the age of 10, I think I would say don't take yourself so seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, I think I took myself way too seriously for way too long, well into my early 30s, mid 30s almost is when I finally said enough is enough. And also to know that you are not what you think. Your thoughts are not who you are. 
and feelings are temporary and they lie and you don't have to listen to them. So I think if I knew that at age 10, if someone had told me, listen, you're going to have a lot of crazy thoughts. That doesn't mean you are your thoughts. Any strong emotions that you're going to have, just write it out like a wave. They come and go and don't take yourself so seriously. Enjoy the ride. I think I, I would have really um, benefited from that kind of advice at that age. Yeah, that's great. I like that. That's helpful. And I, I don't know if we necessarily would listen at that age, but that is true. <laughs> right. For sure. But I think if it, if it were, you know, said to me in a way that made me feel, I, you know, because I had a therapist once in my 20s and I'll never forget this. And it really transformed how I see myself. You know, when someone tells you that you have some quality within you, it's different than saying, oh, don't do this or think this way or don't think that way. You know, but if someone tells you like the therapist, she said, you are so much stronger than you realize if there were, you know, if, if Armageddon happened, it was like the apocalypse, you'd be the one out in the streets, like rallying everybody together, making a plan for survival. You would be that person. And I never in a million years had ever, ever seen myself that way. And since she told me that I can't not see myself that way. You know, and I've lived that out now since just because she's someone else saw that in me. So yes. I think if, if I were 10 and someone had given me advice in a way that made me feel like it was some strength within me, then I would absolutely be able to follow it. That's great. That is that's so helpful. And as a teacher, I'm sure you're looking for opportunities to do that, to say things like absolutely. that to your students. Always, always. I'm always looking for their strength, you know, and I have a lot of kids that don't come from a strong academic background and school is not easy for them. And unfortunately, our school system teaches them to, you know, feel bad or even shameful that they're not good at math, science, you know, um, and literature because those are the main subjects. I have students who are beautiful artists. I have other students who are gifted athletes and those things need to be celebrated as well. I have students who are amazing mechanics. Like, you know, we need some mechanics. Like, I just feel like it's a shame that um, in so many ways they're taught to feel bad about these things in instead of us recognizing what's good about them. So I always, like you said, look for that, look for that opportunity to build them up with whatever I see in them. I, I think that we need more teachers like you. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not going to be, hopefully not too much longer. I'm yeah. on the five-year plan. My five-year plan is that writing books and publishing books will be my ticket to early retirement. <laughs> I love teaching. If I could just go and be in my classroom with my students every day, I could do this for 50 years, but I can't do all the grading and the planning and yeah. the hours and hours and hours of work you know, outside of the classroom. Yeah. I'm, it's exhausting. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of work. That's a lot of yeah. work. Yeah. A lot of extra time. For sure. Well, thank you, Anita, for being on my new podcast. And can you tell people where to find you? Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. And I really enjoyed talking to you and learning about your experiences with writing. To find me, I do have a website. It's www.anitawritesbooks.com. Anita Writes Books is also my Facebook page. You can find me at Twitter at Anita Ramirez 3 and uh, on Instagram as, I think, just Anna Marie RZ on Instagram. Okay, and I'll put links.
Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is also highly appreciated. You can find me and more information about AUA on anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes, including links to everything we talked about today. But if you have any questions or just want to say hi, please do reach out to me on Instagram or my website. And my Instagram is also an unknown adventure. Your adventure awaits, and I'll be looking for you on your personal road of dreams. Thank you.